Well, hello, and once again, welcome to Zippy the Wonder Snail. I'm here with co-commissar Jason. Hey, Jason. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to zipping through more culture and news that matter. I am too. Well, we are going to cover a lot tonight. We're going to be building on a big, firm, gigantic foundation by starting with talking about infrastructure. Infrastructure, what an interesting topic. Um, the reason I wanted to bring this to the attention of our listeners is that our our leaders in Washington uh, have two separate packages um, that they're debating and trying to persuade each other about. So the Republican package is being kind of shepherded, trying to win over votes. Uh, Shelley Moore Capito as uh, the other senator from West Virginia, uh, and she's trying to uh, marshal votes for this Republican plan, which is uh, 500 and something billion as an alternative to the $1.9 trillion uh, so-called infrastructure package that President Biden and his allies are proposing. And, you know, here on uh, here on Zippy the Wonder Snail, we figure if you wanted to just argue politics, you could do that anywhere else. Uh, and we don't necessarily want to do that here, but we want to let you know that there are good faith reasons, um, or you can at least find good faith reasons why the leaders in Congress um, would support and would oppose, you know, alternatives. So one of the, I think the reason why uh, good faith reasons why the two parties disagree as to the nature of the packages, one being the 500 billion, the other one being 1.9 trillion, um, is the nature of whether the pandemic, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, whether the pandemic represents um, sort of an unfortunate interruption. Um, in the life of the nation, and we need a little help to get through it, or if the pandemic has revealed something systemic, which requires a lot more um, support and maybe an ongoing support that is missing and that has been missing for a long time. So depending on whether you believe that the pandemic uh, represents a brief interruption or has revealed something more fundamental kind of reveals the disagreements between the Republicans and the Democrats on the infrastructure package itself. So if yes. we can, if we can just think about that, then, you know, we can, we can let them argue back and forth. Um, some of it's profitable and some of it isn't, but if we could at least keep that, that at least on that one aspect, if we can keep that in mind, then we can be hopefully open-minded and fair when we listen to the different representatives discuss that. So anyway, so that's our um, initial topic and I've nearly talked for five minutes. So I know you're a pastor, so you have to be careful, but if you wanted to offer some thoughts on any of that, go ahead. Well, I think you bring up a good point, Jason, that first off, just, from a, a pastoral standpoint, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I think it is 
incumbent upon us to make a good faith effort to look at why people are coming up with the ideas they are. Even if we profoundly disagree with them, even if we ultimately decide they're wrong, if we're not willing to at least hear them out and genuinely examine them, I I think that's a sad testimony, certainly from a Christian perspective. We should want the truth and not immediately know our answer to things simply because we see a D or an R after someone's name. Right. So uh, that that's true on every issue, not just infrastructure, but certainly true on this. Yeah, and we're, we are going to talk about that a little more as we go Absolutely. into the next parts. But I think, you know, you know, the old the old Klingon proverb, Tim, uh, only Nixon could go to China. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have the example and this is maybe a little off the beaten path here, but the example of when Senator Sanders went to Liberty and he went to Liberty University and he, and he made the case for some of the policies that he favored uh, to the Christian audience, trying to do it in Christian terms. Um, yeah. and, and I think whatever else you could say about Senator Sanders, it was at least um, in some sense an act, of, uh, an act of courage and an act of charity to go there and speak to Liberty students um, and not treat them like lepers that that he and others like him should stay away from. So I think when we when we look at the infrastructure package, when we talk about partisanship a little bit uh, later in the show, hyperpartisanship later in the show, uh, let's be a little more uh, like Nixon going to China in that way, um, like like Spock making the overture to the Klingons um, and, and let's, and let's listen and let's hear in a way that sometimes is hard. So. Right. Yes. It's the way that we live long and prosper. Indeed. The, uh, the other thing though that strikes me, and I think you can see this by both sides having a proposal is that everyone agrees that the government needs to do some infrastructure work. And so that's a place where we can come in and we don't have to be partisan to to look into that. It's really a question more what needs to be fixed. And I, I thought it was interesting. I, I read a piece in the New York Post today. I think it was actually about a week old. But Minority Leader McConnell was saying that he thought it was very likely they could come to a deal because everyone agrees on some of these things. It's just a question of some of the more unusual forms of infrastructure that we see in the president's bill that haven't been sort of traditional parts of infrastructure packages and and exactly where do those fit in? How does the American public think about those things? Right. And and there's real questions to, to kind of wrestle with and think just because it's always been one way before, is that how we should do it now? And and so on. Right. And, and both parties of course are, are wrestling with, um, you know, doing their, their usual dance with the Senate parliamentarian and so forth about which things, um, which things can be included in which bills and how many they're going to be able to have um, and those types of things. So there are, there are good faith disagreements to be had about what infrastructure is, you know, things like uh, how does this relate? How is the federal government going to relate to the state governments and so on and so forth? Um, You know, so let's let our representatives do that. But while we do that as Christians, let's try to be 
as fair as we can and as charitable as we can. If we recognize a good faith argument, um, let's take it for what it is and let's make good faith arguments and not bad faith arguments. Absolutely. I think that would help us so much. Uh, I, I thought a few of the things in, in the president's proposal were were interesting, and I, I wanted to bring up one simply because I am a bit of a, a technology geek, as I've mentioned before, but I noticed there was a proposal for the encouragement of the development of electric cars, that sort of thing. Fairly significant. I think, wasn't that somewhere along the lines of $100 billion or something, if I'm not mistaken, of the, the proposal? Which, I wanted to get your take on that, Jason, because it seems like it's something that the car manufacturers are already moving on. Uh, Ford just introduced a new model of its F-150 that's fully electrified. Tesla, of course, has been doing all kinds of work on that. I was kind of wondering what your take on that was that we see here a proposal to try to jumpstart the industry, and it feels like it's already jumpstarted. So what do you make of that? Well, well, I have some sympathy for continued public investment in that because we don't know how many uh, firms – are going to be able to to deploy uh, such things and how widely they will get out to the public. Um, so given given what I regard as the urgency of the problem of climate change and the necessity of moving away uh, in some sense from fossil fuels um, as much as we can, uh, I think there's still some room for public investment there. But you're right. I'm I'm glad that the companies are moving in that direction, um, and and I hope and I hope it ben- I hope it benefits them. I hope that it's profitable for the companies to give us alternatives to what we've used before. So I can be the opinionated one. You're the pastor, uh, so I'll be a little more opinionated on that, and you can you can split it fifty fifty like you're supposed to do. So. <laughs> Yeah, and in our well, we're going to talk more about this in a bit. But in our very partisan world, to express an opinion on politics, especially anything that's anywhere near hot button, immediately means that half the people aren't going to hear you on anything else, which, which is a challenge. Right. Maybe one though that I don't think is terribly partisan, but I was sort of surprised wasn't showing up in in these gigantic let's dream of everything we need to do type bills. I didn't see much, if anything, on on the space program. And that's something that's disappointing to me, I'll say, because obviously we've seen incredible private investment in space as well. But there are certain big space dreams that, that you can dream as a, as a government that are very hard to pull off from a private enterprise sort of standpoint. And so I was, I'm kind of surprised as they're thinking about big infrastructure, there isn't a big uh, literal moonshot as part of that dream. I'm going to leave that for a future episode. My, my thoughts on that, but I sympathize. I'll put it that way. We should try to get Dennis Paul, our collaborator on OFB on for that one as well. He's done quite a bit of work on the space program. Well, if he's half as hilarious in person that he is in writing, I'm all for it. That would be great. Uh, in any case, one thing that he had said to me years ago that is really stuck in my my mind is he just sort of did a review of the things that have been accomplished by the space program as far as the innovations that we now benefit from. And it's always made me sort of an advocate since then 
For if you're going to think about how can the government spend a, a large sum of money to encourage new jobs and new technology and, and advance the country and, and its place in the world and so on and so forth, it just seems like space is a great way to do it because you develop things that benefit all of society. You get to dream big dreams, which I think is a good thing. We often get so focused on broken down roads and bridges and so on. And those are necessary things to fix, but they don't generally inspire people like the idea of let's go to a different planet or let's see what's out there. Let's boldly go where no, no one has gone before that kind of thing. And it's not just because I'm a Trekkie. It, it, it really is exciting when we can get up there. And I'm thankful that, for example, we have Elon Musk, who's not only pushing the electric car envelope, but pushing the space envelope. But I do wonder, and it doesn't seem like either party's really into this at the moment that much, but it seems like in a package like this, I sure would love to see see some kind of space program. Well, and I, I hope there's uh, there's future uh, future bills and future plans along those lines. One can hope. Anything else that you wanted to cover specifically? No, I kind of wanted to throw it out there more generally. Yeah. I, I think you've given us a really good reminder, simply that we engage with it. One thing I tried to do, because you said you wanted to talk about this, and I, I admittedly had not kept up enough with the infrastructure package negotiations, I just tried to read both sides and what they were proposing. And, and one thing, thing I found, which fits in with what you said, is I found myself nodding in agreement on both bills on some of the things they were proposing. And hopefully we can all do that. We can find something that even the people we disagree most with have to say and think, well, that's a good idea. That would help our country if that policy were implemented on our infrastructure. And there may be other ones that just make that a bill a non-starter for us. But at least it's good to have the conversation. And I'm glad our politicians are having the conversation. I just hope they make wise decisions. As do I. One way they could do that would be to take time to read and think, uh, you know, just like that, our little slow jam there. And one way you, you can read and think, as our listeners, is to go to Open for Business, that's OFB.biz, where we have all kinds of thought-provoking content every single week. In fact, Dennis's piece this week, talking about his grandmother and how he wished he'd taken more time at the end of her life, they didn't know what's going to be the end of her life, and just stopped and talked to her, is a great reminder. We, we move too fast. And we often don't really think about what we're doing. Our politicians do the same. All of us would benefit from just stopping and reflecting more. And you can do that by stopping by OFB.biz and reading what we have to say. I want to say one thing about that. We have lots of technology and culture, and you're really good about updating us about the latest tech gadgets. But things like, how do I relate to my dying grandmother and... What does it all mean for how I'm going to live my life and how I'm going to lean into the world? Those are things that go beyond our stuff and beyond our politics and beyond whatever else in culture. Those are just human things, and maybe we can help each other, and maybe something on OFB can help you with that as well. So that's our first sponsor today is Open for Business, and I hope our listeners, if they haven't already checked it out, will do so right after the show. Well, Tim, we have you wrote a, uh, an article this week about uh, 
what would it be like for those who have chosen uh, not to get the vaccine? Uh, like, what if that were a commercial, like a drug commercial? You wrote a piece about that, didn't you? Can you tell us about that? I'd love to. Yeah, we're kind of hitting hot topics tonight, I suppose. And and certainly this is one of them. I know people have really passionate opinions on the vaccine and COVID in general. It's definitely brought out a divide in us. This particular piece was prompted by a friend who posted on social media. He said, can someone give me an honest, non-heated explanation for why a person should get the vaccine? He said he hadn't heard one. And, and so I started writing something and it turned into this piece. And, and part of what went through my head was, what if we actually were to write a pharmaceutical commercial for not getting a vaccine as opposed to getting one? And we all know these pharmaceutical commercials. You're watching television. Maybe you're watching the latest Cardinals baseball game, like every good baseball fan should. And you're watching it and you're rooting for the Cardinals and it stops and suddenly you're transported to a field of sunflowers. But there's a lightning storm and it goes gray until you find out about the latest new drug. And then the sun comes back and the sunflowers are, are beaming and kittens are jumping and frolicking between the sunflowers. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on because in the midst of the kitten uh, sunflower dance, you're hearing about all the ways this new drug that makes your life better will kill you. <laughs> We're used to this, right? I mean, this is how our modern medical world exists. You hear, if your toenail has a slight angle to it and you end up cutting your other foot on it, you should take this new no-angle drug and it you will never stub your toe on your other foot again. It might kill you tomorrow. You'll probably have suicidal thoughts. You'll probably lose at least half your vision, but it will make your life so much better. Ask your doctor if it's right for you today, right? I mean, that's... How it goes, I, I, isn't it? I'm going to tell you what, Tim. I see some of those commercials, and I'm going to go, hey, those are the best-looking sufferers of plaque psoriasis that I've <laughs> ever seen. It's, you know, I don't know. It's a commercial. they got to find the good-looking people for these drugs. And then and then you hear the list you hear the list of side effects, and it's like, oh, is that all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, but I appreciate what you did in that piece because you basically established that uh you know if you don't uh, like if you if you don't get the vaccine you're about 90 times more likely to die um than if you than if you didn't get it uh, or that if you did get it exactly right yeah so, I, I wanted to actually put what would be those numbers if you were to or or the data that would have to go over the kittens and sunflowers and and people that are partying because their plaque psoriasis is no longer a problem all that all those good things what would be the the information that would have to go if the drug were what we might call novax and so i went and took the cdc's been taking very copious notes on what happens to people after they get the vaccine and I've seen a number of people who are anti-vaccine passing around that around 3,000 people have died now after receiving the vaccine. Good data suggests sort of like those same people will make the critique of COVID death numbers that it includes if you had COVID while you got in a car accident or what have you. They've done the same thing in this data where if you get the vaccine and you end up in a car accident, that's listed as a, a COVID vaccine fatality. So in truth these vaccine 
fatality numbers are actually lower. But to put it in perspective, it's still saying worst case scenario, 3,000 people dead with 156 million Americans vaccinated, at least partially. And I saw someone post the other day, hey, you shouldn't get the vaccine. 3,000 people have died. But I I did the, the numbers on that. And then I looked not at how the CDC has totaled COVID deaths, but simply the number of deaths last year that were in excess of the expected amount of deaths, if you look at the trend line in, in past years, 2017, 18, 19. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. They call that excess deaths, appropriately enough. And, and you come in somewhere around, uh, the last time I did it, they hadn't completely finished out 2020 yet, but you're looking at somewhere around 600 plus thousand deaths of people who have died last year that were not expected to die. Beyond what, if we'd followed the trend of past years, about 600,000 more people died. And that's not including, for example, a friend of mine uh, that got COVID and is still struggling with it, or it doesn't count people who had a terminal illness, but the the virus cut their lives short by six months. They would have still died last year, but they died sooner and lost maybe a, little, a, a final summer with their loved ones, that sort of thing. It doesn't count that. It's simply how many right. more people died. So so I have these two numbers. I have the 3,300 or so people that have died, perhaps, of receiving the vaccine, and about 600,000 that, that have died in the United States without. And so it's really a perfect comparison. You have, if you take Novax, well, that's basically living 2020 again. And if you live 2020 again, it shows that you are about 90 times more likely to die from that Novax experience than if you join those who have received the vaccine. And just thinking about that, if I heard a commercial and it said, take Novax, your life will be better, you won't be at risk of being one of those who took the vaccine and died, by the way, you'll be 90 times more likely to die, I would not go to my doctor and ask, is this right for me? Right. And I want to I want to emphasize another aspect of that is that, hey, you know, um, a person could say you should get the vaccine. So you're so you yourself are less likely to die. But one of my main motivations for getting the vaccine was to protect everyone else, because if you get the vaccine, you're less likely, much, 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 much less likely to be a carrier for someone else. If I got a breakthrough infection and I died. Um, that would be horrible, but Hey, I'm over here like, Hey, it's been a good run. I said to a friend the other day, I'm playing with house money right now. I mean, I'm not planning on kicking the bucket tomorrow, but you know, I I've loved the Lord. I've lived, you know, if it, it's my time, I'm ready to go, but I don't want, I don't want to hurt someone else. And so one of the, one of the great acts of one of the great acts of charity in getting this vaccine is saying, Hey, I'm protecting everybody else and not just myself. Yes, I think that's so well said. We need to be concerned about our neighbor. And if you know that not only might you die, but you might get a mild case and then give it to someone else who gets a case that very much isn't mild. How awful is that? And and personally, I'd rather die of COVID than know that I caused someone else to. And, and I think that's a, a should be a huge motivator in the whole discussion of is a vaccine right for you or not. Right. And I, and I also want to say that 
you know, vaccine hesitancy, you know, different reasons for that hesitancy are not created equal. Um, right. You know, we think of the African-American citizens in our country that in generations past were subjected to experiments, the Tuskegee exper experiments, for example. And so you find much more vaccine hesitancy in that community. And uh, in, a, in a sense, the government has earned that that resistance um, to those those pro-vaccination efforts based on that historical injustice committed against them. So, you know, some some arguments are are better than others in terms of not getting the vaccine. But I think there are a lot of powerful arguments in favor and and I've been persuaded I'm I'm fully vaccinated so well really I think and this transitions into the next topic we wanted to talk about I feel like a lot of the divide hasn't been on people on either side I'll, I'll even say that have really wrestled with the medical data they've actually looked at the CDC data they've taken time to try to to read some journal articles and, and most of us aren't even that well equipped to do that but what we've really done and I've seen this I can predict if someone was enthusiastic about the vaccine oftentimes, and certainly if they were enthusiastic about measures to try to stop the spread, as as it was referred to earlier on, more than anything, by which politicians they support. And that was actually sort of a seed in the the article I wrote. I wrote about that, but it also ties into a series of tweets that I saw a few weeks ago that we wanted to discuss from the American Solidarity Party, which I wasn't even familiar with, but it's a little third party, a Christian third party uh, specifically. Yeah, I can, I can give you a little more background on them because uh, I had some friends that were actually pretty highly involved uh, in various states, pretty high up in state parties for the American Solidarity Party. So it, um, it, in large part, it's based in in Catholic social teaching, but also there's some uh, Kuyperian Reformed Presbyterian types that have contributed thought. So it is a Christian party. It is um, trying to establish uh, social democracy in the United States, kind of similar to the way they do in Europe. Do you, you want to read a couple of the tw the tweets from the American Solidarity Party uh, sure. about this? Yeah, I, I think they're really helpful, and, and they apply to so much more than COVID, but they also do apply to that discussion we've just had on va the vaccines. Here's what they, they tweeted a few weeks ago. It's, it says, One of the worst things that has happened to America's COVID response was making it yet another partisan binary issue. Hypercaution is blue-branded, and shrugging at the disease is red-branded, and it kills a lot of efforts and intelligent discussion of how to beat this thing. The fact that the fact the politics of the disease response looked very different in the winter of 2019 to 20, back when progressives didn't want to shut down air travel and conservative conservatives did, for instance, is a good indication of how powerful knee-jerk tribal reactions are. To some extent, politics is always like that. It's about whose side you're on not just a detached evaluation of the issues, but our political system is structured in a way that encourages us to make everything a left-right dilemma, and that makes us all dumber. 
I think there's a couple different things that we can say about that. Um, we'll, we'll go back to the, the ideological wrestling, the, the hyper-tribal aspect here in a second. But one of the reasons why a social democratic party similar to the ones in Europe hasn't worked in the United States is that everybody can look and see uh, and this brings us back to topics that we discussed in previous weeks. Everyone, everyone can see that in Europe, um, supposedly Christian parties have acquiesced on things like abortion and euthanasia and those types of things. So these political parties with Christian roots are, are even losing that uh, natural law foundation in, in Europe. And so... Uh, Americans kind of look at that and go, well, what good are they? You know, we don't we don't want to create the same kind of social democratic party in our country and just be there's no there's no vigor. There's no Christian vigor. There's no passion. There's no commitment to pro-life issues, uh, the dignity of all human persons, that kind of thing. So people may fear that. And also our system is literally functionally designed to produce two parties. And the way the way that our system has functioned is to try to get one of the two parties to to adopt an issue that has come to the fore, um, and so it becomes less of an issue. So the system is designed to to give us two parties, but it doesn't mean that our thought has to follow rigidly where the two main parties are. You know, if that makes any sense. Right. So. That you know, if we can, if we can try so much, and I think here, uh, if we can try to break out of this binary thinking, it would be so good. And here, I want to bring up Jonathan Haidt, uh, the author of *The Righteous Mind*. Something the subtitles like "Why Everyone Thinks They're Right." Um, uh, and and he he does an analysis of the way this partisanship works. And he, he roots it in like a, like a materialist uh, evolutionary thing. And it kind of, it kind of detracts from his thesis a little bit uh, because it's not even needed, but he goes through and he, he is eventually going to name issues on various sides of our political divide and talk about how the different parties or factions within the parties will ignore um, that issue. And then the other side focuses on the issue that's been ignored by that side. And we have an opportunity as people based in reason and based in hopefully clear thinking and, and dispassionate thinking, at least in, at times, to break out of this. But it's so, so hard when all the incentives are lined up to say, don't listen to them. Don't take the other side seriously. Don't take their arguments seriously. Um, but we can try. We can do better. Um, so I wish the American Solidarity Party well. Uh, I hope that they can uh, help us, at least in the way they present themselves, to break out of this hyper-partisanship. Um, but, but again, I'll say this kind of off the topic a bit, but uh you you essentially have to replace one of our two major parties 
um, if you get strong enough in our system because you get no rewards. Um, you get no rewards for making a big impact but not winning. Um, so that's a tough thing. Maybe that's a, a debate for another show, but American Solidarity Party trying to to give us an alternative to the to the two party binary. Um, One thing I think that's interesting, you know, if we step away from the the party side of it for a moment, because I think I think you're right, and the likelihood that this third party or one of the many other third parties out there is going to actually muster enough support to even take say a seat in Congress or, or the Senate other than when someone flips parties, for example, Justin Amash a, a couple of years ago when he became a libertarian, otherwise you, you don't really see that outside of that. Generally speaking, we really are in a two party system, but that, that doesn't mean that we as individuals have to be, card-carrying members all the time. We don't have to always side with our, quote-unquote, our side on issues. And I, I think that's kind of what we are getting at with the infrastructure discussion, certainly with the vaccine discussion as well, and so many other issues. There are lots of times where it's perfectly reasonable if we're willing to think not in terms of how do I promote my party, my team, but how do I advocate for what I believe is both the common good and to the extent that it's appropriate, my own good, how do I advocate for what is clearly right on a particular issue? And it, it would be nice if at times we could say, agree most of the time with one party and agree with the other, another part of the time. And maybe then it would even start to turn down the hyper-partisanship, I think, where instead of the parties running further and further apart because they're trying to cultivate more and more of that team mentality that instead the parties would sometimes have to circle back and say, wait a second, we left all our people behind because they agree with us on a lot of issues, but they're not really here with us on this issue. Right. And I think, you know, we've, we've talked on this show before that, you know, this is, uh, we are Christians on this show. Um, so it's, it starts with truth revealed in Christ, but, but truth, um, truth in all spheres, we are, we endeavor to be, you and I endeavor to be people of the truth. So we endeavor to, to not just be stirred up by apparent truths or even outright falsehoods that, uh, that you know, maybe political groups or others would stir up uh, against their opponents. But we're, we're always pursuing truth and and... We want to be those who submit to truth in whatever sphere, whether it be scientific sphere or political sphere or the spiritual sphere. What What is true and how do I know and what are my obligations based on the fact that I'm committed to the truth? Uh, absolutely. Because we all make mistakes. We all fail sometimes. Uh, even we're all dishonest sometimes, whether with others with God or with ourselves. But if we make the effort to be the people of the truth, then we can stay out of some of this trouble by continually reorienting ourselves with God's grace, with the light of reason, and go from there. Absolutely. I think sometimes we're ironically afraid as those who profess truth to actually seek truth. And I remember a, a wise professor in college gave this quote, 
I don't remember where it was originally from, but it stuck with me. He said, seek truth, knowing there can be no separation between God and truth. And that's really stuck with me that whatever I'm doing, it isn't just on spiritual matters, on everything. God is the author of truth. So there isn't going to ultimately be a separation. And that means we can even do something as scary as listening to the other side on the political spectrum on an issue, unafraid that if we actually think they make sense, that somehow we're going to be separated from God. Because if the truth is on their side, then God's there. And if the truth is on the other side, then God's there. We're not going to get away from God as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and that we're driving towards him and what he's commanded us to do. And we let that flow into our political opinions, our our day-to-day life, how we go about business, all these different things. I totally agree. And with our last few minutes, sort of in that regard, um, I wanted to talk about something a little bit funny. Um, I, I've been reading a lot of comics lately, uh, and I happened upon this old one called Heathcliff. And comics, comics are coming back in vogue, not just with Heathcliff, uh, but another one I know that we have talked about before, um, Pearls Before Swine. Yes. Stefan Pastis, I think, is the, the guy that, that writes that. I'm, for, I'm forgetting that. I'm forgetting the Heathcliff guy right now. But I think one of the interesting things is if you look at the sacred scriptures, um, our Lord likes to use parables a lot. Um, and a parable, you know, when we um, when we studied the Gospels together back in seminary, Tim, you'll remember we were taught that a parable, uh, Jesus would use a parable to disarm the hearers for what he was about to say and favorably dispose him to the, them to the rest of the message. Um, and so I think in a certain way, in a certain funny way, um, these comics are, are like parables um, because they, they kind of catch you off guard, especially Heathcliff, because uh, they don't necessarily make sense right away. Um, mm-hmm. They take you in, a, in an absurdist direction and they get you laughing or they get you confused. And then you're thinking about something else entirely. And maybe Stefan Pastis or the, or the Heathcliff guy uh, doesn't necessarily have a powerful message behind uh, getting us favorably disposed to what they have to say. But, you know, it's really hard to hate someone who makes you laugh. So uh, maybe one of the things that we need to do to listen to one another and to be to be better neighbors is to make each other laugh if we can. Uh, and, and maybe that could God can use that to give us soft hearts uh, toward others and toward our neighbors that are are in the image of God and Absolutely. and loved by love by Jesus. So anyway. Pearls Before Swine and Heathcliff, I've really enjoyed lately. They're both so funny. I do appreciate Pearls Before Swine simply for how far Pastis will go to set up a good pun. And, and you know, <laughs> I love puns. So he had me at that. You, you, if you're going to take a full Sunday comic strip with all those cells to set up a perfect pun at the end of it, it's already punderful. And I, I very much agree. And I think... I think on this score, we kind of have to mention our our 
I say our buddy like we know him, but I'm going to mention our buddy Jim Gaffigan, who I, I think he set he has his entire comedy routine basically destroying himself, and then if if we can find ourselves in his you know his absurdist scenarios and his laziness then maybe we can we can laugh at ourselves and maybe go in a better direction you know yeah so not everything is is frowns and destruction sometimes we do need to just laugh and like you said it's so much harder to hate someone if you're laughing with them it's it's a good encouragement and i'm glad you brought that up especially on a, a episode where we've dealt with a lot of issues that people are going to be screaming at each other over over the coming weeks and months and it'd be a reminder that maybe we should spend a little more time with those around us that God's placed in our lives, having a good laugh and enjoying the beauty of what God's made and, and not necessarily just thinking about how much we think they're wrongheaded. Oh, I absolutely agree. It, it just makes life less stormy. And, and that brings us to our last sponsor for the show tonight, which is once again, faithtree.com weather. If you've been listening to Zippy, the wonder snail, you know about faith trees, new weather service, Hey, Jason, did you know it's 80 degrees in New York right now? I did not know that, Tim. Yes, it's it's quite balmy there. And and the wonderful thing about Faith Tree weather is that not only will it tell you what the current conditions are any place, and it won't track you while you're doing it. You actually go and you're not going to be sold travel tickets to wherever it is that you happen to look up. On top of that, it has this fun little feature where there are tons of weather references in scripture and it pulls one out that relates to the current conditions wherever you happen to go. So it's just a fun little way to engage with scripture, not in a super serious way, but still you can stop and look at God's word while getting the weather in your home location or any place else on the globe and without advertising. So faithfree.com. Yeah, yeah, you go somewhere else, you might have inadvertently bought tickets to air airfare tickets to Zimbabwe. And, you know, you don't need that. That happened to me last year. And then, and boy, when I looked up North Korea and suddenly I was afraid I was going to be stuck there, you know, uh, having a great time <laughs> dancing with the army. Yeah. It, it, it can be really bad. And so faithtree.com won't do that to you. And on the other hand, one other thing that can really help us besides laughing and enjoying our, our friends and family, spending time in God's word and any excuse for that, even if it's something as trivial as, Hey, the current weather outside is that it's partly cloudy. And here's a passage that talks about God's making of the sun and the clouds. That's just a great way to delve into scripture. You can click the button. It'll actually bring up the rest of the chapter and you can read some of scripture. And, and I think, Certainly something as Christians that we could do that would help us a great deal more is to spend more time in Scripture. Every every page is our God trying to tell us that he loves us. It's, it's amazing how he does, and it's amazing that we get to share that. And that's something I love about this podcast, and it always makes me sad when we run out of time, but here we are. At the end of yet another Zippy the Wonder Snail, Zippy zips by, uh, I know, certainly in the preparations. I hope for those listening as well. Yeah. Uh, come come, be with us next time. It was great. We'll do it again. And in the meantime, you can help us out. We certainly would love it if you've enjoyed this podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Let them know that you are zipping along with Zippy. And you can do it in 
a bunch of different ways. We're finally on every major podcasting directory, including as an Apple user. I am so delighted. We're finally on the Apple Podcast Store, so you can subscribe and get every single episode of Zippy as soon as he zips in. That is change I can believe in, and it's also morning again in America because you can get Zippy the Wonder Snail on, like, every platform at this point. So we no longer have to say... Mr. Cook, tear down this wall. We are in the Apple Podcast Store. I am so glad for that. And I'm so glad to be with you, Comrade Jason. So glad to be with all of you listening. This has been Zippy the Wonder Snail. We can't wait to share another episode with you in the near future. Thank you for joining us.